Well, today as we continue in our short little This is Love series, we're going to see how the resurrection of Christ opens up the love of Christ to offer us a second chance. How the resurrection brings grace to our brokenness. Because of the resurrection, we know what the cross is all about. Because of Easter, we understand the meaning of Good Friday. At the cross, Jesus died in our place for our sins. Jesus entered into our pain and our shame. At the cross, Jesus bore the just wrath of God for our sins. Jesus came and took the very weight of evil itself so the power of death and sin could be broken. Jesus, because he didn't stay in the grave, Because he rose from the dead, we know that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was God in his love through Christ, freeing us from sin. God in his love, overcoming death. God in his love, announcing grace has come. See, it's because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we know the love of God. We can look at Jesus on the cross When we look at the risen Jesus from the dead, we can say, this is love. Last week, we looked at the fact of the resurrection, the actual physical death of Jesus and the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus are historical facts grounded in reality. We saw that the preaching and teaching of the New Testament stresses the reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus that God the Father has indeed raised Jesus from the dead. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The resurrection is not just something we believe, it's the linchpin on which all of our faith rests. The fact of the resurrection is the very bedrock belief on which all of Christianity stands. See, since the resurrection is true, then Jesus is who he said he is. And Christianity is true. We are people of the cross because we are people of the resurrection. Both events, the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross for our sins and the powerful, vindicating resurrection of Jesus from the dead find their true meaning only when they are together. We saw that the resurrection of Jesus defeated death. His resurrection defeated his death. And his resurrection defeats our death. As born again, new creation, true followers of Christ, though we die, yet shall we live. That's what Jesus taught as he interacted with Martha at the death of her brother, Lazarus. Listen to their conversation as recorded for us in John chapter 11 starting at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
Then she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You see, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. How can this be true? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because by his resurrection, Jesus became the resurrection and the life. Because Jesus conquered death, he is the life. And he gives eternal life. The substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross, the powerful resurrection of Jesus from the dead, forever secure the truth of those words from Jesus. They bolt the truth of Jesus' words in reality when he said, Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Through Christ and because of Christ, we have been given the victory of Christ over the greatest curse of sin, namely death and hell. We've been given the victory of Christ over eternal separation from God. You see, we gather together this morning as we do every Sunday morning in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus, in remembrance of the atoning sacrifice and the bodily resurrection of our Lord. We gather together to celebrate the victory that we as followers of Christ have been given over sin and over death by Christ and through Christ and because of Christ. Easter for us is not a holiday we honor once a year is a weekly glorious celebration. Every Sunday we gather together to remember the tomb is empty. Salvation has been secured. Jesus has risen and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Sin and death have been conquered. Abundant life, eternal life has been offered to all who would believe in Jesus. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. That is why we are here this morning. Let's pray. Father, it is with great celebration, with our hearts overflowing with the amazing truth your son's death on the cross and his resurrected to life to secure salvation and eternal life for us. It is with this truth reverberating through our hearts and our souls that we come now to you and to your word and to say thank you. We pledge our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we want to take a brief look at a couple accounts of Peter's interaction with Jesus. We'll look at Peter and what he does right before the death of Jesus, and we'll look at Peter and what Christ does in the meeting they have together after the resurrection. The first account is Peter's denial of Christ. It's recorded for us in all four Gospels, but let's look at Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 26. So after the teaching and the institution of the Lord's Supper in the upper room, they leave to go to the Mount of Olives, to the place on the Mount of Olives that's called the Garden of Gethsemane. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26 and follow along 
as I start reading at verse 30. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter, all the disciples loved Jesus. They had been with him day and night for an intense, amazing three years. They had seen miracles beyond human description. They had witnessed the greatest depth of compassion beyond human ability. They had heard the most remarkable teaching beyond human authority. They had experienced the great blessings of friendship with the Christ beyond human relationship. They had left family and home to follow Jesus. They were all in, totally committed followers of Jesus Christ. Peter, in his usual rash remarks, disagrees with Jesus. You might be right about all these other guys. They might all fall away, but not me. Not me. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. No, Peter, Jesus says, not only are you going to fall away, but you're going to go even further. You're going to publicly deny me three times this very night. Can't imagine how they all would just have a hard time imagining any of that to be true. They were so committed to him. And as Peter says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. They all, each one, say the same thing. Each one with the same heart of commitment and loyalty to their Lord, to their Savior, to their Messiah. If he's going to face persecution, they vowed their undying fidelity to him. Now we know what's coming. But let's not leave this moment too quickly. This is real for them. This is a genuine expression of their heart. They were totally committed to him. But in reality, they had no idea the depth of the testing that was about to come upon them in just a few short hours. You see, later that very evening, Judas leads a a great crowd, a, a militia, from the chief priests and the elders of the scribes, and they they come to Jesus. And as the arrest is going down in Matthew 26, verses 51 through 54, it says, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to them, Put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I can't appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than 12 
legions of angels. But how would the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. Now, Matthew doesn't name the person who drew the sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But John does. John, in chapter 18, verse 10, says, Then Simon Peter, having drew a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Can't you see what's happening here? Can't you see it? Peter is backing up his words. He said that he would not deny Jesus. He said he would not fall back and desert Jesus. He said that he was willing to die for Jesus. And he breaks out his sword and he starts to fight. He steps up. He puts his life on the line for his Lord. As probably the other disciples are all gathering around getting ready to do. They don't understand what's going on. They misinterpret what's happening. They haven't been able to put the whole puzzle together. They thought the circumstances were getting out of control. And Jesus rebukes them. He is in total control. Jesus is always in total control. Nothing is happening to him that he's not allowing that is not actually fulfilling what has been prophesied about the Messiah. He could stop what is going on with a simple word. But he came to do his Father's will. He came to fulfill Scripture. He came to save his people from their sins. Jesus continues in Matthew 26, 55, saying, At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. In the first of so many amazing moments of Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, in humility and obedience to the will of the Father, Jesus willingly gives himself up to be arrested and taken away. And all the disciples in that moment flee. Peter and all the disciples run in fear for their own arrest. That night has turned out nothing like they thought. Peter eventually leaves the other disciples who've cowered together in their fear. He's got to go see what's going on. He's got to go support his Lord. He's got to go help him. I said I would stand by him. I have to go. So he goes to the courtyard of the high priest's house where they are trying Jesus. Verse 69 and following state. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. A servant girl recognizes Peter as a follower of Christ. He denies Christ the first time. And then he went out to the entrance, and another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, 
he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. So he left the one group of people. He moves to stand next to the entrance. But even there, another servant girl recognizes him. And this time, Peter denies Christ with an oath. He says something like this. As God as my witness, I do not know that man. He denies Christ a second time. Where after a little while, the bystanders come up to him and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Again, another accuses him of being one of them, a follower of Christ because of his Galilean accent. But Peter denies Jesus, this time invoking a curse on himself. He said something like this, May God strike me dead if I know that man. That's what Peter said. He denied Christ, invoking an oath and a curse upon himself. This now a third time. The Gospel of Luke says that at that very moment, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Matthew continues to say, Then immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went and wept bitterly. Just a few short hours ago, he couldn't ever imagine ever doing what what just a few short hours ago he claimed could, would, never happen. He just did. The weight of the denial of Christ overwhelms him. It breaks him. And he weeps bitterly. Can't get out of his mind that disappointed look from Jesus. He was about as low as you could go. He lied. He denied Jesus with an oath and with a curse. He reacted out of of his own fear and not out of faith. He sinned against his Lord. The depth of the heartache, the, the despair of his sin, of his denial, of his loss. How could I have done that? How could I have failed Jesus? Now the true Peter is not seen in his denial, but in his brokenness. The true Peter is seen in his repentance. As he realizes the grievousness of his sin, he turns from it, brokenhearted. Have you ever been so broken by your sin? Have you ever realized the full grievousness of your sin? And in repentance, wept over your sin? Have you ever realized that your sin was sin against Jesus? Well, Peter's faith had slipped. His faith had weakened. But his faith was genuine. It was real. He eventually meets back up with the rest of the disciples and they hide in the upper room waiting for their fate. 
as Jesus is tried and convicted and crucified and dies and is buried. In the midst of all the questions swirling in their hearts and minds, he can hardly look at his fellow disciples in the eyes. They had all fled. But he had publicly and emphatically denied Jesus three times. With tear-stained cheeks, he shares his failure. There is no future. There's no hope. The heartache that he felt, the depth of despair that flooded Peter's heart and the disciples' heart. Scene one, the great failure of Peter. Scene two, the great restoration of Peter. See, oh, what a difference the resurrection makes. What a difference God's resurrection grace makes. What a difference a second chance makes. Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, as we look at this next encounter of Jesus with Peter on the shore after his resurrection. The scripture says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know there was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea, and the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Perhaps as I was reading that account, something struck you as, I think I've kind of heard this story before. Doesn't Jesus have like a similar interaction with a miraculous catch of fish in the first calling of his disciples to follow him? Yes. Yes, he does. It's in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and it starts with verse 4, and it says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep and let your nets 
uh, for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, we will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come help them. And they came and filled up both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw He fell down at the knees of Jesus, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You see, the similarities between these two events are there for a purpose. Jesus used the first miracle catch of fish to call Peter and the disciples to following him. And Jesus now uses the second miracle catch of fish to again call Peter and his disciples to follow him. As John 21, 19 says, after this, he said to them, follow me. We also see that both times these professional fishermen had fished all night and caught nothing. Both times they obeyed Jesus. Even though as professional fishermen, it would have made no sense to obey him because there was no way that letting this net down now was going to catch any fish. And both times they haul in amazingly overabundant number of fish that could only have been caught by a miracle. Both times, Jesus was revealing to the disciples who he really was. And both times, Jesus is using this moment to call out Peter and the disciples to be fully committed followers of him, all-out commitment. The Lord in his sovereign plan was specifically using the similarities of these two callings to cement forever in the minds of his disciples that they were called to serve him for the rest of their lives. Jesus specifically connects the similarity of these two events to forever etch in their minds that they were called to serve him for their lives. He came to them to love them, to show them that he wasn't through with them. He came to them where they were, to call them, to challenge them anew, to follow him forever. And now finally and fully resolved, they decide to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And folks, he's doing the same thing for us today. He's calling us on a mission, his mission to serve him for the rest of our lives. He comes to us when we get off his mission, when we follow our own way. And he loves us. He calls us back to him, showing us that he isn't through with us yet. He comes to where we are, even right now, challenging us. To follow him forever. Love offers a second chance. It's exactly what Jesus does for Peter. That's exactly what Jesus is offering us today. And now in John 21, 15 to 17, we see the full restoration of Peter. 
The scripture says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Then he said to him a a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. One commentator wrote, Jesus knew if Peter was to play the crucial role in the early church that he had chosen him for, he would need to be restored. Peter needed to understand that although he had forsaken Christ, Christ had not forsaken him. Whatever may have happened in Peter's other's personal encounters with the risen Lord, since his denials were public knowledge, he needed to be publicly restored. The other disciples needed to hear Peter's reaffirmation of his love for Christ and Christ's recommissioning of him. There's a lot here that could be preached. But the point this morning is that the heartbroken denier of Christ is restored by the grace and forgiveness of the resurrected Christ. Again, there are important parallels between this passage and the passage we looked at earlier Peter denied Christ three times. Jesus restores Peter three times. Jesus, I mean, Peter says, I do not know him three times. And then Peter says, you know, I love you three times. The last time we saw Peter before this, he's around a fire publicly denying Christ. And now we see Peter around a fire publicly denying affirming his love for Christ. See, the key issue that Jesus is stressing is love. The key for any leader, the key for every follower of Christ is love. Biblical love is the mark of a true believer. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second commandment is to love others. The law of Christ is to love one another as Christ has loved us. Jesus taught that the very basis of of our commitment and obedience to him is God's love. He said that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, Peter had come face to face with Jesus and realized that the basis of his denial wasn't just his fear but it was that he had a greater love for self than he had for Christ. Jesus was now calling him to a greater love, to a greater love than his love for himself, to a love for him, that to such an extent that he would be obedient at all costs, to a love for him to such an extent that he would expend his life in service to God's people, to a love for him to such an extent that he would, as he did, be a martyr and give his life for Christ. This broken man, this weeping denier, 
became after the resurrection, after the grace and forgiveness of the risen Christ, the great preacher on the first day of the church, a man who stood boldly before the powers of his day, proclaiming his forever allegiance to Christ as his Messiah. Oh, how the resurrection changes everything. One commentator said this, Jesus' threefold question and his threefold commission of apostolic mission contrasts directly with Peter's three denials. Three times Peter said he didn't even know the Lord. Now three times he says he loved the Lord. No matter how great a person is, he may fall. But God's grace and forgiveness will restore the repentant. No matter how big or great a person is, he may fall. Each one of us may fall. But God's grace and forgiveness will restore the repentant. Well, let's watch this video by the skit guys. It's the interaction between Jesus and Peter. And it illustrates for us how God's grace and forgiveness restores the repentant. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus said you, you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. (laughs) This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, Yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, 
don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. The angel said what? Uh, Go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. He said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No. What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Well, maybe today, through the Spirit, you can hear Jesus call your name, calling you back to him, offering you a second chance. He comes to give us his grace, grace you don't deserve, but grace he so wants to give. He says to you, what I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about Jesus and his grace. What a difference resurrection makes because of his substitutionary death and his vindicating resurrection. Love is alive. Forgiveness is available. Eternal life is present. And a second chance is offered right now. What a difference God's grace makes. And that grace is offering us a second chance. Christian, do you know that grace? Do you need to to come to Jesus for restoration in your life? Do you need that grace and that forgiveness from the resurrected Christ to give you a second chance? Come to him today. Where is your love? If if Jesus asked you, do you love me? How would you respond? Is his love for you alive? Is it driving your life? Is your life about him or about you? See, the resurrection changes everything. Are you all in? What's holding you back? Don't hold back from God's calling in your life. Don't hold back from embracing this amazing, forgiving, loving grace, second chance, and engage in his mission. Come to Jesus as Peter did in the brokenness of repentance and be restored and be renewed by the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Well, if you're not a follower of Christ here today, What Jesus did on that cross is for you. He died as a payment for your sins. He rose in victory over the grave to offer His grace to you. Forgiveness to you. New life to you. Eternal life relationship with Him to you. Come to Him today for that great exchange. Exchanging your sin for His grace. Exchanging your death for His life. Exchanging your past for his future. Proclaim him as your Lord and receive him as your Savior. Oh, what a difference the resurrection makes.
This is love. Love offers a second chance. Let's pray. Father, now in the quietness of this moment, as we each open our hearts to you and the movement of your spirit in our lives, we have to acknowledge we are just like Peter. We have failed in spectacular ways. We've rejected you. We have, we have spurned the movement of your spirit in our lives. We have, in many ways, even in the pressures of the moments, fled and denied. But Lord, we also come to you and acknowledge that our faith is real. It's substantive. And you call us back and we are now coming back. And we acknowledge your grace. We, we come to your embrace. And in repentance, we ask for restoration, a second chance, a recommitment, a no turning back. If you're a Christian here today, pray. Pray a recommitment to Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, pray right now from your own heart to Him, admitting your sin, admitting that Jesus died for you, and then believing in Him, putting your trust in Him as the Lord and Savior of your life, and then confessing Him. Confessing Him. Today, in your own words, pray that to Him. Jesus, we come before You having decided today to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.